Hello mamas, this is Daisy from The C-Spot and you're listening to The C-Spot Podcast. This podcast is a collection of stories told by women who have experienced a cesarean section, otherwise known as a C-section or a belly birth. The C-Spot is a safe space for us mommies to share our experiences. From one C-section mom to another, you are not alone. Let's begin this journey of healing together. Welcome to The C-Spot Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Daisy from the C-Spot. Thank you so much for joining me today. We're gonna go ahead and get into our episode for today. And before we do though, I wanna thank everyone that had an opportunity to listen to my pilot episode, which talked about my reason for creating the C-Spot. And I truly appreciate all of the support and the positive feedback that I have gotten just from that pilot episode. And I also would like to give a shout out to all the moms who have signed up to be a guest on the C-Spot. So after you hear these next couple of episodes from me about my C-section stories, the episodes that will follow would be from moms who signed up to share their birth experiences. So thank you so much. I really appreciate the support. So this episode is going to be part one of my C-section story. And for those who were not able to listen to the podcast, the pilot episode, I mean, I am a mom of three boys and I delivered all of my boys by way of a C-section. But my second and third C-sections, I had those C-sections after I attempted to VBAC. And this first C-section, of course, I had never had a VBAC because it was my first time actually going through the labor process. So I'm gonna separate those two episodes. So part one will be about my first C-section. And then next week is going to be part two, which is gonna talk about my second and third C-sections. So let's go ahead and get into my birth story, my very first one. So it was 2017 and I was pregnant with my first son and the pregnancy was pretty uneventful up until around the beginning of the third trimester. So at the beginning of the third trimester, they had me take something called a glucose test. And for those that are unfamiliar, a glucose test is when they make you drink this very concentrated sugary drink. And the purpose of you drinking that is to see how your body processes sugar to determine whether or not you have gestational diabetes. So I figured, okay, no problem. So I took the test and they call it a one hour test initially because you drink the drink and then they wait an hour and then they take your blood. And of course you can't eat anything before the test because it could compromise the results. So I did the one hour test and to my surprise, I failed. And I didn't know what that meant, what that looked like. But pretty much they said, you have to come in for a much longer test. They call it the three hour tests. And for the mamas that have had gestational diabetes, you know that the three hour test is extremely daunting. You spend pretty much a good chunk of your morning, if not your entire morning in the doctor's office. And then you have to drink a much more concentrated uh, drink. And then they have to take your blood every hour on the hour for the next three hours. So 
when I took that three-hour test and I got the results, the results showed that I failed again. So once you fail that three-hour test, they diagnose you with gestational diabetes. And when you have gestational diabetes, there's a couple of things that can come with it. Some people are able to control it with diet, which is what I was able to do in my first pregnancy. But then there's some people who have to take insulin. So it can be a lot to deal with in the last you know, trimester of your pregnancy. So because I had gestational diabetes, they, meaning my medical providers, did not feel comfortable with me going past 40 weeks. So around 39 weeks and five days, actually, I think it was 39 weeks and four days, I started to have contractions. And so I was having these contractions and that day I already had a doctor's appointment. And up until that appointment, I had never even heard of the word induction. I had no idea what that meant, what it looked like until I went to this appointment and I was like, hey, I'm contracting. I'm not sure what's going on, but the contractions are pretty strong. And they checked me and I was about a centimeter dilated, but they were like, because you have gestational diabetes, we're going to have to induce you. We don't feel comfortable with you going past your due date. So at that point, like I said, this is my first son. So I'm just like, go ahead and do what you have to do. I'm tired of being pregnant anyway. I figured, okay, you're going to induce me. The baby's going to come. It's going to be simple. And at the time, like I said, I just didn't know enough about it. And hindsight is always 2020. So had I known, I might have done something a little differently. But when I... When I got to the hospital the next day, they scheduled my induction for the next day. I got to the hospital that night and I got comfortable. I was excited. We were there with quite a few people. We were there with my son's father, um, some of his relatives, a few of my closest friends, and my brother was there as well. And once I got settled in, the nurse came in and she explained that she was going to induce me by way of something that's called a Foley balloon. And pretty much it's, balloon, it's a balloon that they insert in your cervical area and then they fill it with a saline solution. And the purpose of a Foley balloon is to get your cervix to manually dilate. So they started that process and I remember it hurt so bad. And I was thinking I'm going to have an unmedicated birth, no painkillers, no nothing. And then once we started that induction, 45 minutes later, I was like, oh no, epidural, I need an epidural. So they came in and they gave me the epidural and immediately I felt much better and I was able to sleep through the night. So I got induced on a Saturday night. So I was able to sleep through the night and I woke up Sunday morning and they checked me and the Foley balloon, it falls out when you get to a certain point. So I think I was at about five centimeters when they decided that, okay, the balloon has fallen out, you know, let's go ahead and see where you are. And so at that point they were like, let's go ahead and do Pitocin. Once again, I had never heard about Pitocin up until this point. So they explained what Pitocin does and Pitocin is pretty much a synthetic form of oxytocin. And the goal is that it's supposed to help your body or your uterus, everything kind of just open up and contract and dilate. Um, well, your cervix dilating. And so I was like, okay, I'll go ahead and do the Pitocin. So they started me off at a low dose. 
I don't know how high we went as far as the dosage, but I know that I just laid in bed for the most part. Nobody told me, hey, you can get into different positions, even though you have the epidural. There's different things you can do to kind of speed things along other than medical interventions. But I didn't know, and I was the first um I was the first person in my friend group to have a baby. So nobody had been through it before. Nobody knew. So I was going through the Pitocin. The Pitocin at the time was fine. And then it got to a point where my back started aching so badly. And I was just like, do I have a knot in my back? What's going on? So my best friend was trying to massage my back to get the knot out. And then the nurses come in, they're checking to see where I am and I'm not making any progress. At this time, I'm at six centimeters. And so they're trying to um, think about what to do next. But then during that time, my son's heart rate started dropping. So he started having heart rate decels. So they're trying to change positions. They're like, okay, lay on your side, lay on your right side, lay on your left side. And I'm moving, you know, as they're telling me to, but I'm just so uncomfortable. So let me see. This was probably Sunday afternoon by this point, probably around, let's say around 3 o'clock, 3.30, somewhere around that time. So the OB comes into the room after his heart rate D cells are not getting better. And she sits down next to my bedside and she tells me, You know, Daisy, we have given you a lot of time to labor. You've gotten the Foley balloon, you've gotten Pitocin, and it doesn't seem like the baby is tolerating the Pitocin or the overall labor experience very well. And so at this point, we're going to recommend a C-section. And at that point, of course, I heard about C-sections before. My mom delivered both my brother and I through a C-section. But still, I was told before labor had started that I was a great candidate for a vaginal delivery. So honestly, I didn't mentally prepare myself for the possibility that I could have a C-section. So when my OB was like, you're going to have to have this C-section, I just broke down. I was just bawling out of control. I was inconsolable. And I just felt like at that point, I'm like scared because I didn't plan for this. And I know that it was going to be a pretty major surgery. So once I gave her the consent because I figured, okay, if my baby's heart rate is dropping, I just need to go ahead and get him out. So I gave consent. And once I gave consent, it felt like it felt like everything just started moving quickly. So my son's father is in the room. They throw him some scrubs and he's like, how much time do I have to put this on? They're like, you don't have any time. You need to get these scrubs on now. They're prepping me. I'm crying. And mind you, this was in 2017 and the hospital I was at, you were allowed to have five people in your delivery room. So people were in and out of the room. And at this time, there were a couple of my friends in there. I think my brother was in there and they're like trying to calm me down. But I am, like I said, I'm crying and I'm just like, what is about to happen? So eventually they get me into the operating room and 
at this point, and actually before the operating room, I'm shaking. And they're thinking that I'm shaking because I have gestational diabetes, I haven't eaten. They're thinking that maybe my blood sugar is dropping and that's why I'm shaking. So anywho, we get to the operating room, I'm still shaking. And I'm like, I'm nervous. I can't stop shaking. Like I couldn't control it. Like if somebody was like, stop shaking right now, I'd be like, listen, I can't stop. So I'm in the operating room on the table. They, they kind of, you know, when you're in the OR, they take your body and they pull it from the hospital bed you came in on to the operating table and they're starting to prep everything. I already had the epidural. So at least we didn't have to worry about doing like a spinal tap or anything of that nature. I already had the epidural. So at the time, my son's father was not in the delivery room. They told him to wait outside in the hall and they would tell him when to come in. So I'm asking where he is because I'm getting very, very panicky and I suffer from anxiety. So I felt like I was on the verge of a panic attack. And then I felt like I was getting nauseous as they were starting to give me the meds to make sure that I was numb, you know, from the bottom half of my body. And I'm telling them, I feel like I have to throw up. I feel like I have to throw up. But for those of us that have been through this before, when you're on the table, your arms are kind of like in a cross. And there are, there. how do I explain it? They're straight to the sides and they're pretty much pinned down. Like you really aren't supposed to move. So I'm trying to get comfortable. I can't get comfortable. I'm like, I have to throw up. And so eventually, eventually I'm like, I can't hold this in anymore. And I literally projectile vomited on the nurse. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm just so, so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And she was like, it's okay. I'm sure that that's happened to her a million times before. So eventually they let my son's father in the room and then they start the operation. And of course they check to make sure that I don't feel anything. And I'm like, I don't. And everything went pretty quickly. My son was out within, I want to say five to 10 minutes, somewhere around that time. And he came out and he was crying. And I remember just crying too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like my baby's finally here. But then of course, like I couldn't hold him. I didn't have the golden hour. I didn't have skin to skin. The things that I feel like you typically have with a vaginal birth unless something is wrong, I wasn't able to have that in the OR. And so it just felt like certain pieces of the experience that I wanted, the outcome just wasn't what I expected at all. So they got his weight. He was seven pounds, 12 ounces, born at 4.14 p.m. And they brought him to me. And at that point, they released one of my arms so I can try to hold him. But I couldn't really hold him because I was still shaking. And so I just tried to, you know, connect with him in the best way I could. But of course, I'm like, I'm in this operating room. Like, I can't get comfortable with him the way I want to get comfortable with him. And so the surgery was pretty quick, um, that first C-section. I was out of the OR 
think maybe 45 minutes after I came in. So it was very straight to the point. And then they put me in this little recovery room that was the size of a closet. And uh, my friends and my family that were there, they came in to see the baby and everyone was just so happy. And meanwhile, I am shivering, I'm shaking. So they're throwing blankets on me to try to warm me up. And of course the epidural is still there. So I don't really feel much. I can tingle my legs a little bit, but what I do know is that I am shaking uncontrollably. So they're trying to put blankets on me to keep me warm. So in the process of doing that and with family and friends coming in to visit him, I'm trying to breastfeed and breastfeeding, getting him to latch as a first time mom. That was hard. I felt like I couldn't really get comfortable because of the epidural and just the position I was in in the bed. So I tried my best, but once again, it just felt like this is not at all what I envisioned it to be. So we were in the hospital, I wanna say it was two two or three nights. And while we were in the hospital, it was so hard to even just get out of the bed and walk to the bathroom. It was hard to take a shower. It was hard to turn from one side of the bed to the other side of the bed. Everything just felt so difficult because essentially it felt like I had been hit by a bus and I just was in so much pain. And then of course they're giving you medicine to try to help with the pain and it helps, but after a while it wears off. And then they also gave me a belly binder to try to tie my belly so that it doesn't hurt as much, but it hurt all the same because I had literally just been cut open. So once it was time to be discharged, I did not want to leave the hospital and I didn't know why at the time. I just thought it was because the nurses were really nice and I enjoyed being there. But in hindsight, I feel like I didn't want to leave the hospital because I didn't really know what things were going to be like when I got home. And of course, you know, I had support. I had my son's dad um, and I also had my aunt and my great aunt and friends. So it's not like I didn't have support. But it was still like I had to go home. There were lots of stairs in the house I was living in at the time. How am I going to navigate taking care of a newborn after having had this major abdominal surgery? And I think I kind of underestimated it because after I got home that same day, um, I went to Walmart and I, I'm like, I don't even know why I did that, but I'm the kind of person that like, I'm always on the go. So I was like, I'm just going to go to Walmart. We have to, you know, get groceries or whatever. So I, of course I got in the wheelchair with the basket in front that they have for people who are disabled or handicapped. And I got in one of those, so I didn't have to walk around Walmart, but I really should have been resting, but they also tell you in the hospital to try to walk Take it easy, but try to walk so that your body can get used to, you know, where you currently are as far as healing and getting back to normal. So after all of that, I noticed that I started having just weird feelings. Like I thought that it was just like maybe me me trying to adjust to motherhood as well as healing from the C-section. But 
I didn't realize until months later that it was postpartum depression. I just felt like my hormones were up and down. It felt like an emotional roller coaster. And although I was able to connect with my son, the breastfeeding part of it just was not connecting. And I was trying to get him to latch and I couldn't get him to do it. And I just was like, you know what? This coupled with the C-section, I just, I can't do this anymore. So I ended up stopping breastfeeding early when he was maybe, I think two months old. And I wanted to go much longer than that, but I just didn't feel like I could do it because I was battling my emotions, the hormones and recovering from the C-section. So when I thought about everything I went through, I was just thinking, how did this happen and why did this happen? Could it have been avoided in any way? And I started nitpicking at all of the things that went wrong. You know, maybe if I didn't have gestational diabetes, it wouldn't have led to an induction, which wouldn't have led to Pitocin, which ultimately wouldn't have caused heart D-cells, leads to C-section. And ultimately, I felt like my body failed me because you hear every day about women giving birth vaginally, and I just expected that I would be able to do the same. And physically, body-wise, at the time, I'm a very petite person. At the time, I was about 150 pounds when I gave birth, but pre-pregnancy weight, I was between 115 and 120, so I was very small. But I know that there are small women who have given birth to babies vaginally before, so I didn't see why I wouldn't be able to do it. So in my mind, it just kept replaying. It was like a loop, a constant loop, just playing back and forth, like, why wasn't I able to do this? And so when I got pregnant with my next child in 2021, I decided that I was going to have a different experience and that I was going to attempt a VBAC. But in hindsight, looking back to that first C-section, I wish that I would have known more. I wish that medical providers would have told me more information so that I could have made more informed decisions. But also I'm trying not to beat myself up for it because like I said, it was my first son, first labor experience. I was the only one in my friend group who had been through it. I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to about it, about what to expect. And also, I didn't, like I said before, I didn't plan for this to happen. So if I had even had an inkling that that could possibly happen, maybe I would have done some mental preparation. But because I didn't, I just felt completely blindsided. And of course, at the six-week postpartum appointment, they ask how you're doing and, you know, are you depressed? They have you fill out a questionnaire. And I filled it out and I did have signs of postpartum depression, but they didn't really recommend anything, things I can do to feel better. I ultimately ended up seeing a therapist to try to get to a better place, which it definitely did help, but I just feel like there wasn't enough support, especially for a first time mom who had a major abdominal surgery and was expecting to have a vaginal one. So the experience in itself was hard. So 
thinking about my first C-section and moms who might be in the same position as me, I think that if there's anything I could say to a mama that is in my position or has been or may possibly be in my position, I think the advice I would give is that, of course, keep an open mind, plan for a vaginal birth, but just remember that Unfortunately, as much as we want to be in control of things, there are some things that are simply out of our control. And it just might be helpful to keep that in mind so that you don't feel completely blindsided in the event that you have to have a C-section. Because of course, C-sections are or can be life-saving procedures. But in my predicament, I don't know if I, I just don't know if it was necessary, that first one. I know that my baby was having heart D cells, but I feel like was there anything else that could have been done to avoid it? And and maybe there wasn't, you know, I'll, I'll never know. But I think the biggest piece of advice I could give is just make sure that you keep your mind open and that you ask for as much information as possible so that you can make an informed decision in the event that you end up having to have a C-section. So thank you so, so much for listening to that first part of my C-section story. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about the second part, which is my second and third C-sections, where I'm going to get into what I did to plan and prepare for a VBAC, and the outcome of those are pretty much what led to my second and third C-sections. So once again, thank you so much for listening. If you've made it to the end, I have never really... expressed or explained my birth story to this magnitude on a social platform so this is very big for me and I'm hoping that this can help a mom who is in my position or has been in my position so thank you thank you until next time this is Daisy from the C-Spot and please remember that our births do not define us you are strong you are beautiful and you are so so magical bye bye